Welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. I've watched the church come under serious attack. In fact, I believe the church is under attack today like we have not seen in my opinion, since the 17th century when the church went into the halfway covenant concept that didn't work. And it wasn't until the first great awakening that the church recovered from that serious mistake. And then after the Revolutionary War, we had to have the second great awakening so the church could recover again. That second great awakening lasted 100 years and set the stage for where America was then in the preparing towards the Civil War and brought us out of the Civil War. Many people are not aware that during the Civil War, there was a great revival both in the north and in the south, and, and God was working. That doesn't mean that God approved of the Civil War. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he was at work to heal us through that. And then at the beginning of the, of the 20th century, we had another great revival, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The movement that this local church is a part of began in 1896 in the hills of Tennessee and the Carolinas and uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was 10 years before Azusa Street. And then Azusa Street and around the world, God began pouring out his Holy Spirit. And that, here's the interesting thing. What the Civil War could not do during the Pentecostal outpouring at the turn of the 20th century, blacks and whites were worshiping together they were praying together. There was no division at that point because God was at work. And when, when that revival leaped over the ocean and went to South, uh, to South Africa, there is documentation that in South Africa, there was racial reconciliation going on there also through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, God always has the answer. Amen? Amen? And our church has been under attack, not just this local church. I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been under attack in four ways. Government and government entities marginalizing the church and saying that it's not essential and, and making mandates to try and, and shut us down, close us down, separate us, keep us from being able to be what God has designed the church to be. The second thing that went on was the embracing of practices and doctrinal positions to try and be culturally relevant and to be politically correct things that are unbiblical, things that compromise, things that hinder the working of the Holy Spirit, 
and do not bring authentic salvation to hearts. The third attack, the third attack, the marginalizing and disconnect by believers who are quote-unquote dunners. They're done with church. Or those who are just content to do church online in their pajamas. And while they are doing other things. And they'll say, well, you know what? I, I, I go to church. I'm listening to church. But they're doing dishes. They're doing things around the house. They're working in their garden. They're distracted. They're not engaged. They're just listening. They're not engaged. And because they're not engaged, the spiritual working of the Holy Spirit can't do its deep and full work in them. That's a great concern. I think there's a reason that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Look at the words. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, it's not just listening. It's not just listening to the worship music while you're doing something. It's listening and doing it's not just listening to the sermon casually. It's listening and letting Holy Spirit take the word deep in your heart. Whoever hears and does them. And, and it's interesting because the apostle James wrote the same thing in James chapter 1. Look, look at what it says. Would you read this with me? Everyone together? But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty... And continues in it, continues in it, say it again, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. See, the concept isn't, isn't that, well, you know what, we can just do church online while we're doing other things. Yeah, well, we're in church. Yeah, we're listening online. No, 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 it's more than that. And I know there are those who are online because they can't get to church, because they're, they're physically disabled, or because uh, some of ours, we have folks on the East Coast that listen to us, the whole family worships with us every Sunday because their job has them way out. They're not anywhere near a church, and so they worship with us online. But the difference is they gather together as a family, and they're engaged worshiping with us. Come on, amen? amen. Are you tracking with me? And we have those. But what I'm concerned about is we have too many people that are done with church. And what caused that? What caused someone to be done with church? And some it's because they were deeply wounded in church. Here's number four. Because of the disconnect and marginalizing of the church by believers, pastors and church organizations are in a desperate attempt to attract people and to get them back into church. And so they're trying to be really cool. And they're and they're 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 building a platform, and they're they're trying to do things and make it look make it look and and they're they're doing all the stuff to try and attract people and to get them back. 
But at the same time, they're going, but we don't want to make it, well, you know, we don't want to offend them while they're here. And we don't want to, we don't want to, you know. And so they're doing all the wrong things. Because rather than doing those things that the Holy Spirit does in the flesh, in the natural, they're trying to do things to make church hip and to make church attractive so people will come. And the problem you have is that doesn't fit with Scripture. So we have to ask ourselves some really, really tough questions. Because I believe these trends are really dangerous. I'm serious. I believe they're very, very dangerous, and they put every one of us at risk. Because see, here's, here's the danger. This is what happened in the halfway covenant. We're one generation away from the church completely losing everything. See, that's what happened in the halfway covenant. Because they no longer required an authentic born-again experience, an authentic conversion to Jesus Christ, they let people be members of the church, let them receive communion, they let them do, be, be all that. And the next thing, the next generation of preachers were in the pulpit that had never had a born-again experience, that had never had a working of the Holy Spirit. And so they had men in the pulpit that were teaching from here, but they didn't have anything here. Are you tracking with me? See, we're only one generation away from that. And if the church is trying to be hip and cool, but not giving space to the Holy Spirit and the working of Holy Spirit, so there's an authentic working of Holy Spirit and authentic salvation happening in the hearts of the people, then what you're going to do, you're going to raise up a generation of preachers in the pulpit that do not have the power and dynamic of Holy Spirit, that are not operating under the anointing, that are not preaching the authentic truth, that are not preaching the word that will convict the heart and now you have church that has a religion that has a form of godliness but no power. Amen. And I'm concerned we're on the verge of that. So we've got to ask ourselves, what did Jesus mean when he said he was going to build his church. What was his original design? And, and what did the church look like when he birthed the church? What did it look like? And, and what does that say to us that we should look like today in the 21st century? We're two millennia down the road from when the church was birthed. Should we be looking today like it looked then? And if so, how can we get there? And by that, I don't mean that we have to go back and we have to start dressing like they dressed then. And, and, no, I'm, I'm saying that we can be 21st century people, but we can be the church that Jesus birthed because when Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, he meant that. Amen? Amen. He meant that. So let's look at Matthew 28, 19. What, what did it say? And so I'm going to, again, ask you to read it with me. Would you please? Matthew 28, 19. Everyone together? Go there. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's, we're, we're, 
Yes. I almost was quoting from Matthew 16, 18. Forgive me. Everyone together, and I'll read what's on the screen with you instead of what's in my brain. Okay, here we go. All right. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is telling his disciples, go build my church. And what were they to do? They were to make disciples, baptize them, and what? Teach them. Hmm. That sounds like people, doesn't it? I mean, if you're making disciples, who are you making disciples with? People. If you're baptizing them, who are you baptizing? People. Church is about people. And we see this even clearer when we go to Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. Because what you're going to discover is church isn't about buildings. It's not about programs. It's not about systems. Church isn't about organizations. Church isn't about rules. That's not what church is about. Church is about people. Church is about people. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's about you. Would you please? Look, in Acts, in Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter 15, we have the story that certain men were, were going to the churches and telling them, if you're not circumcised and if you don't keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And the Apostle Paul was going, wait, 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 wait. That's not what Jesus said. And so they, they went back to the apostles in Jerusalem, and they met with all the apostles in Jerusalem. And, and the men that were teaching that gave their position, and then Paul gave his position and they studied the scripture together. All of them studied the word of God together. And then this was what they wrote back to the churches. Because some have troubled you, we are writing you this letter. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater charge on you than this. Don't eat blood. Don't offer sacrifices to idols, and stay sexually pure. Boy, pretty simple, huh? What was it all about? It was about people. Church was about people. God's concerned about people. He meant to build his church with people. And that's the whole thing of what now, Matthew 16, 18, that I almost started to quote to you a moment ago, when he said, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On this rock I'll build my church. And what he was talking about is I'm going to build people. I'm going to build people. I'm going to build this this ministry that is going to build people. 
and it's going to set people free from the power of darkness and it's going to bring them into the kingdom of my dear son and the people will be set free because whom the son has set free, they'll be free indeed. I'm going to build people that will have absolutely eternal life and will have the freedom of Almighty God in their heart. Amen. It's about people. Church is about people. We're not in the program business. We're not in the entertainment business. I find it really curious that the first great awakening started with a pastor in a community of about a thousand people. <clears throat> and the pastor read his sermons in monotone. And he was so nearsighted, he had to get his eyes right here. And he never took his eyes off his notes. And he read his notes in monotone. And revival broke out. Would somebody tell me how entertaining that is? <laughs> and yet it broke out. And, and in just a matter of weeks, of those thousand people, they had 300 converts to Jesus Christ. And it, and it leapfrogged from Northampton to other communities in New England. And then the great George Whitfield came from Great Britain and in his British accent preached so loud that in Great Britain they wouldn't let him preach in the church because he gave everybody headaches. And so he started preaching outside and he came and the second great awakening swept up and down the East Coast that turned our nation back to God that had started with God in the Puritan movement. And now I came back to God. And I truly believe with all of my heart that across the world right now, there is a new spirit rising that is saying, we have been entertained to death. Can we please just have the authentic? Give us the authentic. Amen? Give us the authentic. So then you got to ask yourself, well, okay, so God, Jesus said he wants to build his church and he's going to build it with people. Why? What's so important about the church? And why should it be significant in my life? Well, I, I think he answers that for us in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. In uh, 22 to 25, I'm going to read this together. You can follow along as I read it. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching." See, the, 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 uh, the apostle at that time was facing a situation similar to what we're facing now. There were dunners. 
And there were people who were, who were uh, marginalizing and, and, uh, and not attending church like, like, like they had been. And uh, they, they, were, they were getting caught up in other things. And, and, and well, they would go to church when it was convenient. And, and the, it was just, just like right now. And the apostle wrote to them and said, you know what? Let me, let me remind you again why church is important. Because it's in church that love for God and love for one another is stirred up. It is, it, is, it is emboldened. It is set on fire. It is rekindled. It gets freshness. It gets a fresh flowing. It, it is stirred up and it comes back to becoming significant in your life again. He, he wants to stir up love for God and love for one another. Because I want to tell you, when you stay away from church and you're just home and you're just home and you're just home and you're just home, it's not stirred up like that. But when you come together and you worship like we worship today, fresh love is stirred up. Fresh fire is stirred up in your heart. Your love for God is just kindled anew and afresh. And your love for one another. And your love for one another. And, and you know one of the things about stirring up that love for one another, I mean, you don't have to hang around here very long to realize we're not all the same. Some of us are tall, some of us are short, some of us are trim, some of us are not so trim. Some of us are Hispanic, some of us are Caucasian, some of us are Asian, some of us are black. I mean, we just got all kinds and we're just all flavors of the, of, of the human rainbow. Come on, amen. And we're here. And not only that, some of us are the kind of people we just adore and we love hanging out with them. Others just, if they, they always pet our fur the wrong way. Would you stop that? Come on. And that's in church. I've had people say to me, I don't go to church because there's just a bunch of hypocrites there. And I want to look at them and go, and so there's no hypocrites at your work? <laughs> well, duh. Look at the human race. <laughs> it's full of hypocrites. And the church is supposed to gather. We're supposed to gather. People. And if you're gathering people. You're going to gather hypocrites. Some of you are getting it. Okay. How come? Because we all come to Jesus broken. We all come to Jesus messed up. Even if you grew up in a Christian home, you come to Jesus messed up because you're a human being and you're born with a sin nature. Come on. Oh, amen, Pastor. Absolutely. And so we need the church because the church helps stir up the love of God, the love for God, and the love of God in our heart for one another. The other thing we need church for is because why? He said not only does it stir up love, but it said to stir up good works. Good works. We're supposed to be doing good. Do good works. 
Have you noticed it's really tough to do good works just staying at home? It really is. It's hard. You got to get out. You got to. Now, let me, let me just give a caveat here. I hope you're doing good things to your siblings. I hope you're doing good things to mom and dad. Mom, dad, I hope you're doing good things to one another. But good works has to be done outside the home. And what provokes good works is when we come to the house of God and Holy Spirit just convicts and Holy Spirit stirs us. And, and, but not only that, we're equipped. See, that's why he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers for the equipping of the saints for ministry. See, our job isn't to do ministry for you. Our job is to equip you so that you can be doing the ministry because we're the church. Amen. Five people got that. I'm going to say it again because I think you missed it. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We equip you so that you do ministry because together we're the church. Amen. Yeah, come on. Give Jesus a praise. Come on, give him a praise. So church is like really, really important, right? So can you go to heaven and not go to church? Yeah. It's just not easy. I like how D.L. Moody said it. D.L. Moody was asked this question. D.L. Moody was one of the great evangelists. He was never an ordained minister. He was a shoe salesman, and he started evangelizing, and finally he just began doing that full time. And he shook both Great Britain and America in the 19th century. Tremendous evangelist. And he was asked what many people are asking today. Well, do I have to go to church to go to heaven? And his answer was, well, no. And that was what the apostle was addressing here in this passage. See, he said, some of you are forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. He didn't say you're forsaking the assemblies of hell and you're going to hell. He didn't say you're forsaking the assembling together and you're going to hell. He didn't say that. But he did say, stop it. <laughs> when D.L. Moody was asked, can you go to heaven and not go to church? He said, well, yeah, I guess. He said, and you can also go to Great Britain without getting on the ship. You can swim there. It's just a whole lot easier if you get in the ship and go. Raise your hand if you get it. Mm -hmm. Great answer. Great answer. See, church has great significance in our life. Let's go back to Matthew 16, 18, and 19. We're going to add verse 19 in this time because we've got to understand what Jesus' original design for the church was. What was his original design? Would you read this with me? 
And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is a direct fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and Rebekah, the wife of Esau, the son of promise to Abraham. God said to Abraham, and your descendants will possess the gates of their enemy. And when Rebekah agreed to be married to Esau, she received the same promise. Your descendants will possess the gates of the enemy. And that is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to build my church and they will possess the gates of their enemy. What he's literally saying is, is the enemy will not be able to resist them. The enemy will not be able to overcome them. The enemy will not be able to defeat them. The enemy will not be able to stop them because my church is going to crush the gates of hell and he is going to plunder hell to populate heaven for the glory of Almighty God. Amen. And not only that, I'm going to give them the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that mean? He gave us the keys. It meant he gave us the authority to operate under the authority of heaven. We have the authority of the kingdom of heaven. He didn't just give this to a select few. I think many Christians think, well, you know, I know that, you know, I know that, that that evangelist on TV, you know, he's the evangelist and he does miracles. He has the authority of heaven. If I could just get to him. Well, I know, you know, <clears throat> that, that pastors have that authority. Lo, here's what he's saying. He didn't say, I give the keys of the kingdom to the apostles, to the prophets, to the evangelists, to the pastors, to the teachers. He said, I give the keys of the kingdom to my church. I'm, I'm letting that sink in because I know it's dead quiet because for many of you, maybe most of you, that is a brand new thought. Want to hear it again? He did not say, I give the keys of heaven to the apostles, to the prophets, to the evangelists, to the pastors and teachers. He said, I'm giving the keys of the kingdom of heaven to my church, and they will bind, and they will loose. Let me give to you another scripture that goes with that. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 18, when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He that believes in and baptized will be saved. He that believes not will be damned. And they that believe on me in my name 
They will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That is another way of Jesus saying, and those who believe in me, I give them the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever they bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever they loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Church, we have laid down and just give the devil free reign. While we sheltered in place and while we hid behind our masks, the devil opened wide open. Would you please explain to me how come it's absolutely okay and there's no C-19 danger to dress up as BLM and Antifa and go thousands and hundreds down in the street shoulder to shoulder, and that's okay. But boy, if we do that at church, that's dangerous. We can't do that. Would someone explain to me what's going on? Never mind, I'll tell you. It is because the devil bound the church and loosed his forces of hell. That's what's going on. And the church laid down and let it happen. And I'm saying it's time for the church to rise up again in the power and the authority of the kingdom of heaven and take the keys of the kingdom and let's conquer. Come on. And if that's too straight for you, it is because you've had a pablum kind of church and we need to get back to the kind of church Jesus said, I'm building. And it is a church that crushes hell and frees people from the power of darkness and leases them into heaven. I better settle down or I'll just get Pentecostal right here. Look what happened. He did that. And in Acts chapter 3 and 4, the whole city of Jerusalem is all mad and angry at the church and threatening the church. Why? Because a man who was more than 40 years old and had never walked in his life, two men from the church said, you know what, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you what I got. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that man who had never walked in his life went walking and leaping and praising God. And the city got all upset, especially the religious folks that were politically correct. <laughs> and that's who they were. The Pharisees and Sadducees were being politically correct so they wouldn't upset Rome so they could keep doing their religiosity. But what's really curious, when Jesus built his church, it wasn't politically correct, and it messed Rome up. Amen. Hmm, shouldn't that be telling us something? Amen. How about Acts chapter 8? A deacon. Listen up, deacons. Where are you, Matt? Chuck? Doug? All of them? Listen up! Randy? Heads up back there? 
Philip, a deacon. He goes to Samaria, and he starts teaching them about Jesus. People start getting saved. They get baptized in water. But listen to what it says. It says the unclean spirits were being cast out, and it said the lame were walking, and the paralyzed were walking, and it said the whole city turned to Jesus and was filled with joy. How come? Because the church came. You take Acts 13, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, and they go to Cyprus, and they go to Thessalonica, they go to Lystra, and they go to Ephesus, and they go to all these cities. And every time they went to a city, the city was turned upside down because the church came and people were being set free. Demons were being cast out. People were being healed. The gospel was being preached. The most wicked people were being saved. Almighty God was turning cities upside down because the church was being exactly what Jesus said the church was supposed to be. You know what? They didn't have a problem gathering people. Little story. Would you stand with me, please? Little story. By, 19, by 1979 and 1980, I had been in ministry 10 years by that time. I started preaching in 1969. And a decade into it, I was really frustrated. We, we, had, we had seen amazing things happen. I had seen people with literal miracles. People had come to my meetings with casts on. They would go back to the doctor the next day, take the cast off, and they were completely healed. A woman that was carried into our meetings one time with no hips. She was very well known in the city. I was in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. She was very well known in the city. And a group of charismatic Roman Catholics had asked me to come to do a set of meetings. And we started with about 75 to 100 people. By the third night, we were having hundreds. And they brought this woman in. She had no hips. They carried her in on a cot. She ran around that building that night and carried the cot home with her. Amen. But I couldn't get the local church to catch the vision. And I had tried every church growth program out there. And during some days of fasting and prayer, God said to me, you know, your mother never held a growth campaign for you. And I said, what? He said it again. Your mother never held a growth campaign for you. She, she never one time said, okay, over the next 60 days, I'm going to do this and this and this, and you're going to grow six inches. She never did that. She just fed you and housed you and kept you healthy, and growth was a natural phenomenon. 
Now, I want to tell you, some of you, you outdid me. But, but I grew as far as this body could grow. But he said to me, and it's the same with my church. And I thought, okay, God, what are you, what are you saying to me? And God began teaching me how to pray like I had never prayed. And he began gathering around me men and women that wanted to pray like I had never had men and women gather around me and want to pray. And we launched a ministry based on prayer. It grew to several hundred but we put many more, many hundred more in other churches because we couldn't disciple them fast enough. But one of the things we began seeing was miracles. One of our city councilmen came one Thursday night to our midweek Bible study and came up and he said, he said, Father, he said, I don't attend here. And I knew he didn't. I knew he attended the Catholic church right across the street from us. But he said, I have cancer. He pulled up his arm and he had a big cancer in his arm. He said, would you pray for me? So I had some of our deacons gather around. We prayed for him and we watched that cancer disappear. Literally watched it disappear. That, that weekend we were having a couples retreat. And so we invited him to join us for our couples retreat. So just come to our couples retreat. And we're not trying to apostatize. Just come to our couples retreat. And he said, okay. So they came to our couples retreat, got saved, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, went back to their Catholic church and became a part of the Catholic charismatic group in that church. But man, we're beginning to get around. We lost count of how many cancers were, surgeries were canceled. We had a man come in one Sunday night. His wife was Buddhist. He was agnostic. Came in on these metal canes. One of our deacons had invited them to come. He came in on these metal canes. That night before the service was over, he was running around the building, jumped up and down off the platform, went out the next day with two of our deacons and walked 18 holes of golf. His wife was born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and she became our church administrator. The mighty power of God. What happened is, as that began to grow, nobody wanted to miss church. We had overflow crowds every Sunday. And those that missed, they would call up somebody on Monday and go, what happened? And then they'd go, oh, man. You know, they were so mad they had to miss. Nobody wanted to miss. We didn't, we didn't have to do promo. It was, it was, God was promoting himself. Because, see, it was all about Jesus. Jesus was authentically in the house because we were authentically seeking him. Prayer, being willing to change my schedule to meet God on a daily basis so that I sought him with all my heart. Groups gathering and praying, authentically praying, God, we want nothing but revival, revival, revival. We don't want it to be about man. We want it to be about Jesus. Being, giving place to the Holy Spirit to work and move. Not being in a hurry. Give place to the Holy Spirit to work and move. 
sharing your faith, just telling others what Jesus is doing. You can't believe what Jesus is doing. And when you see people in need, you pray for them and you believe God's going to answer. And you let your body be the temple of the Holy Spirit and whatever God needs to adjust in you so the Holy Spirit can be authentic and real and vibrant in you. What attitudes need to be adjusted, what behaviors need to be adjusted, not a law, but because you so love him and you so want him and you so want to please him and you so want your temple of the Holy Spirit to be full and saturated with Holy Spirit, you just want anything that's hindering him and restricting him out of the way. That's the church. And that's what church should look like. We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at winacity.com.